Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 Welcome Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Yeah, the fantasy schedules, or I should say the NHL schedule is a funny thing, but it really is a fantasy schedule. Like all my life, I didn't care. Like I might have cared when opening night was and when my home team was going to play their first game and who it was against, but I didn't care otherwise. But ever since, you know, we we started digging deep into fantasy. This is almost a decade we've been going now, Elon. Like, fa- schedule day is a big day for fantasy because the the difference in schedules between uh, certain teams and other teams that can help you make decisions on draft day and also on Sunday. It's a big, big, big component of winning your fantasy league. So not only are we going to go over all the best and worst schedules, which, you know, are different at different times. If you want to be heavy at the start of the year, at the back end of the year, we're going to talk about strategy too, not just who's got this certain schedule when. We're going to talk about what that means for how you should value those players at draft day and maybe who you might not want on draft day, but put on your watch list to make a February deal for. Yeah, exactly. And there's also, obviously, when you say who has the best schedule, you could be looking for different things. You're looking for more back-to-backs. You're looking for more off days. We're going to get into all of that, dive into what you need to be paying attention to, like Brian said, on draft day and also throughout the season. Uh, so yeah, that's the plan. Of course, first, though, we do have one piece of NHL business. In our, we did that four-part episode, breaking down all the free agents, all the trades. Uh, there has been one important thing that's happened since then, which is that John Klingberg signed a contract with the Ducks. So we'll get to that first. So that's, that's setting the the table for this episode that we're going to record for those of you watching live we're even going to record another episode after we talk about the schedule so we'll get to that in a little bit but first Brian, before we get into everything let's of course stop down and mention that we are presented by dauberhockey.com and we're very proud to be able to say we are so because that's the site that releases that amazing guide every single year and it's out with projections like it feels like it's only the beginning of august dauber's got it and don't worry about like oh but it's not gonna be up to date they update it all throughout the preseason so you buy it once and then you just keep downloading it as it gets updated so it's really cool check it out dauberhockey.com but with that that brian let's dive into uh john klingberg okay we'll set the table with that and then we'll talk about the nhl schedule so the one not the last free agent <laughs> to fall right we still have kadri i guess rumors are that nazim kadri is likely going to the islanders uh so but you know it's not confirmed yet last year if you recall parisi and palmieri were like rumored to go to the islanders and then they didn't end up signing until like training camp started basically uh I don't know. Quick aside, I don't know if we're not planning on talking about Kadri here, but if Kadri goes to the Islanders, his fantasy value is like down the toilet, right? Like there's no way he comes anywhere close to what he did in Colorado last year. For sure. Yeah, I would be worried. I've been chatting with a friend lately uh, who is asking me, like, should I keep Kadri? I'm like, we need to wait and see where he signs. Kadri helped him win his league last year. And now that the Islanders are popping up, that's a big 
red flag. Even with a new coach, we were actually talking about this on our Discord server within the last few days. Someone was saying, like, is Lane Lambert just because he worked for Barry Trotz? Does that mean he's going to coach like Barry Trotz? And, you know, I, I did some reading. A lot of the athletic had some great stuff and I did some poking around and eventually came to the conclusion that, yeah, it's going to be kind of similar to Barry Trotz. I mean, Lane Lambert was with Barry Trotz in Nashville and Washington and in both those stops, there were some high-scoring moments for Barry Trotz and his teams, but it was never, like, the first way he aimed to play. And the the vibe I got from what Lane Lambert brings is a knowledge of the system that Lou Lamorello wants the Islanders to play and is building the Islanders to play, which is the same as Barry Trotz's system, but basically a fresh voice to deliver and implement the system, like... I, apparently, Lou was not happy with how how closely uh, the Islanders were listening to Barry and was like, okay, well, we need someone who's better at communicating this, basically the same curriculum. And so Lane Lambert's in. And so I'm not expecting any drastic changes in this play style of the Isles. So if Kadri does land there, it's not great for Kadri. It's not great for Barzal. I mean, it's kind of bad. The Islanders are a really tough team to want to have players on for fantasy reason. You've got Noah Dobson and probably Ilya Sorokin. But other than that, I don't think there's anybody who's going to make you happy all season long on the Isles roster. Barzell has a shot, but last year he was so frustrating. So we kind of need to like take a breather from him. And especially with all the schedule drama, like it was huge to know last season, since we're talking about schedule, that the Isles uh, played barely at all in weeks. I think it was three and five and had like a 12 game road trip and their arena was like being built and they weren't playing at home. And it really showed up on the score sheet. I owned several Islanders. You might be able to tell by how scarred I'm sounding talking about my experience with them last season. So yeah, I'm not going to be so attracted to the Isles. I mean, I will look at their schedule again this year and see if it's any better, which we'll do together. But yeah, if Kadri lands there, basically if anyone goes there, it's just not great news for them. Yeah, and to be fair, like, this has not been confirmed at all. I just meant it as, like, an aside, and now, like, Brian's given us some good analysis, which maybe you'll just end up throwing in the toilet, because maybe he won't sign there. We're having a question from Chris asking who's the most credible source linking Kaji to the Islanders. I can look that up. I thought I read something that seemed credible, but who who knows, right? Who cares? Let's yeah, just move on. Let's move know. on to something that actually happened. I, I, I took it as an opportunity to talk about the Isles in, in general, ahead of schedule, because we're, we're going to be getting to them, like, just in a few minutes. But there you go. There's a, there's a quick rundown on what to expect from anyone in an Islanders jersey this season. I also saw, for what it's worth, and again, this isn't going to matter in the long run, but that Kadri has like several deals potentially in place with teams so long as they clear cap space and he's ready to sign one once the team is ready and the Isles are just on that list. That That's how I read about oh, it. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Let's talk about John Klingberg. Okay. He goes to Anaheim. That's done. One year, 7 million. Obviously Klingberg wanted that multi-year like Seth Jones type deal. Unfortunately for him, he didn't get it. Uh, so now we look at at least one year with Anaheim. Then I guess the plan is he'll go from there. Uh, last year with Dallas, Klingberg had 47 points in 74 games. It's a 52-point pace. Uh, He played a lot of time on the power play, almost 60% of the team's power play time. Gotta imagine, I'm just going to give my own opinion here, it seems like Anaheim made a really smart move because they had the cap space. It's a one-year deal. So this is a team that's like rebuilding, right? So I think maybe you've heard something differently, but I'd imagine the plan is bring in Klingberg, uh, hope that he does really well, and then flip him at the deadline for picks. And like, what did it cost you? No assets. They had to like hit 
salary cap floors and whatever anyways, because I, I, it just doesn't seem like a long-term fit for me just because, you know, they have Drysdale and they also have a couple prospects like Zellweger. They just drafted Minchukov in the last draft. So it seems like they're pretty set. They have still Cam Fowler at, at four years left at 6.5 million. So it seems like the future for the Anaheim defense is strong. But yeah, for this year, why not bring in Klingberg? give him an opportunity to succeed, which is what I'm about to get to, which is why I'm kind of excited about him, you know, make him look really good and then flip him to a contender at the deadline. Maybe they could even eat some of his salary for the rest of the year. And like, you know, they'll get like maybe a first round pick or something out of it. So, and for a 2023 draft potentially, which is supposed to be such a great draft. Uh, So looking at Anaheim, like last year, like Jamie Drysdale kind of went into the season, like it looked like he was the top power play guy, but really they ran two pretty even power plays with Drysdale on one and then like Fowler and Shattenkirk on the other none of those three defensemen hit 50 percent of the team's total power play time on ice like all three were within like 44 and 47 percent i'm gonna assume that if what i said before is true that they're bringing him in and trying to make him look good so they can flip him and even if not like you're paying seven million dollars i assume it's for a top power play guy right so i think that it's going to be in everyone's best interest i'm sure klingberg also asked for some assurances that you're going to like let me earn that long-term contract i want to get right so i'm assuming that klingberg will be on top power play and and honestly that could be pretty good like i know anaheim's like not the most exciting team right now but you know Trevor Zegras, Troy Terry. Now they have Ryan Strom, uh, you know, so then you throw in Klingberg and then, you know, they still have like uh, Henrique or maybe like one of these rookies like uh, Mason McTavish can earn the spot. Like Frank Vitrano also just came in. Uh, so I feel like they have the pieces to potentially have a strong power play. So with all that said, Brian, let's try to come up with a projection for Klingberg here for next season. Like again, like I said, last year he paced for 52 points. If he had played 82 games, do you think going into next year, is he going to be someone you're going to project to be higher than 52 points or lower than 52 now that he's on the Ducks? Now that he's on the Ducks, I'm going to, I'm going to project him for higher than I would have if he was on the stars. Regardless, I might've projected him for better than he did last year. Last season, Klingberg had basically the second worst season of his last five years. Like he's been between 55 and 70 points uh, for three of the last five seasons. And one was really bad. He was on a 45 point pace, uh, just 26 points in 58 games. That was in 1920. And last season had just that 52 point pace that Elon, I'm pretty sure you mentioned. So it was a disappointing and very uneven season from Klingberg on a Dallas team that's very defensive focused. And actually one really interesting thing that happened to Klingberg last season is his, um, his defense really dipped. And I feel like, so he was once a really great setup guy. This is about three seasons ago. He was one of the best in the league. He had a, a fantastic year. And then I, f- and then he sort of dipped and he's sort of been like regrowing that game and trying to reach that peak. But I feel like one thing that might have happened last season is he was being asked to take bigger risks to make plays and set up. And it really hurt him in terms of how many goals against were going in while he was on the ice, which that could change now that he's in Anaheim. And I guess that's not a terrible thing to hear about if you're like, oh, well, that sounds like a good situation to be in in Dallas. But overall, uh, it just didn't seem to be clicking with Klingberg in Dallas last season. So in Anaheim, I think they're going to pay $7 million for a guy who's going to help them compete and work on the power play. And yeah, who's eventually going to turn into some kind of future asset 
I think. I mean, we were chatting at the time of the contract. Someone mentioned that he had been offered like an eight million or was holding out for a certain number above eight million with Dallas and had like a pretty nice offer at one point, but turned it down hoping for even more. And it was a rumor. But I sort of compared him to some of those other big ticket defensemen. And the difference between them and Klingberg is that Klingberg is not renowned for his two-way game, the way other D who landed big contracts are. Like all of those guys, like anyone look at the contracts, whoever's making more than eight and a half or nine million dollars a year with term is known for being amazing offensively or very good offensively and still good defensively or very good defensively and pretty good offensively. Or they have a reputation that makes them seem like they're those things, but they're not actually, but NHL GMs think they are, so they get paid. Like Seth Jones, for example. You know, he may not actually be better than Klingberg, even though he's making more and has a better contract. He just might have the reputation of being better. Like Klingberg, over the course of his career, doesn't really compare poorly to Jones in defensive play, which is not... If I asked you, Elon, offhand, who's the better defensive player, uh, Seth Jones or John Klingberg, the, the reputation is all Seth Jones, but Klingberg is actually mm-hmm. in the same ballpark as Seth Jones. And actually, Klingberg has done better at offense and five on five and much, much better on the power play than Seth Jones. So Anaheim is actually getting a pretty solid guy, maybe on a bit of a bargain. I think Klingberg just ran into a really tough market. Remember, he fired his agent at some point who might have promised him the world and he didn't get the world. And that might have been because a lot of teams have cap tied up and the cap didn't grow. Uh, but I think Klingberg has never really had the PR to solidify his value the way we've come to appreciate or think of other big time defensemen in the league. And I actually, in my own mind, I was like, oh, maybe he's a bit of an anchor defensively, but he's not. Klingberg is solid, and I think that should make him still valuable to someone come February or trade deadline time. Even if Anaheim, like, I'm open to Anaheim deciding, like, hey, we like this guy. He fits on our team. Let's extend him and keep him around. But at worst, yeah, they flip him for somebody. They pay $7 million for a future asset, which might be more interesting to them than a long-term contract with Klingberg. And why I like him in Anaheim more than Dallas is he probably gets top power play quarterback status right off the hop there, which he had in Dallas, but it seemed tenuous at times. Like at the start of his career, he was 60 as like 60% was the basic power play involvement, uh, his share of power play minutes in Dallas. And it went up to 75%. But the last few seasons, he's been under 60% of the power play minutes two of the last three years. And of course, that has to do with Haskinen and also just Klingberg not delivering there. So I think it's a great move for Anaheim. I think it's a great move for Klingberg. Uh, and I think Anaheim is going to be interested in juicing the value of Klingberg as much as possible. So put him on that top power play and see what happens. And I think that's what makes Klingberg kind of a sneaky threat for 60 points this year. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got something to prove. He has, he's proven that he has the talent. He'll be quarterbacking a top power play. And in the seasons that he's hit 60 or close to it before, he's had 20 power play points. That's all he really needs. 2025 would be even better, of course, but that's all he needs. And then hopefully the five on five situation will be good enough there. Like Klingberg still feels like a bit of a mystery, but I am, like I said, more interested in him in Anaheim. I'm bumping him a little further up my draft list now that he's in Anaheim than I would have uh, had him if he had stayed in Dallas. 
Yeah, I think I'm with you. Yeah, I asked you over under the 52-point pace from last year, and you're saying he could potentially hit 60. Maybe I'm going we'll over. There. Yeah, I'm going to take the over also. I'm pretty into him, and I think a lot of that has to do with I'm really into Trevor Zegras, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in his second season. And and if he takes off, hopefully Klingberg will be a part of that. Hopefully Troy Terry can keep up what he was doing. So I don't know if Anaheim's going to be a very great team next year, but I think they'll be interesting to watch, and this definitely will add to that. Maybe one day we'll actually get a beat writer interview with the Anaheim beat writer. That's been one of our white whales. Uh, and then we could ask uh, what that person thinks. Uh, as far as the rest of the defensemen, for next year, like, we're done with them, right? Like, don't draft Jamie Drysdale. Don't draft Shattenkirk. Don't draft Fowler. Like, at this point, like, I'd ima- like unless we see something wildly different from what we're expecting in training camp, which is Klingberg on power play one and maybe not running two even power plays, uh, I just don't see how any of these other defensemen could break, like, whatever, 40 points as a ceiling. Agree. I mean, Fowler was barely draftable. Depends on how deep your league was. He was barely streamable because his success is so scattershot, even when he is quarterbacking, the, even when he was quarterbacking the top unit in Anaheim. Shattenkirk, forget it. I mean, we have, we've had our conversations over the years about how reliable he can be offensively. But yeah, his value definitely takes a hit here too, if whatever of it there was. And Jamie Drysdale takes the biggest hit. Like I was in, uh, we're doing some patron mock drafts to get ready for the cupful, keeping Carlson ultimate patron fantasy league. If you want to learn about it, kkupfl.com. It's all up to date, I think. If you find anything in a date, let I us know. I just updated the rules, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I updated my picture and also <laughs> like all the numbers to show and all the links are put. Anyway, it's a nice site. Uh, thanks to John Newhold for helping us make it and Kevin Hebert for keeping it up to date. Uh, but go over there to find everything you need to know about the rules, the scoring What are you talking about? I you with. <laughs> Sorry, I was talking about my first mock draft that I yes. did this year that was based on like, a couple scoring settings and how I was hoping, I was waiting to see if Jamie Drysdale was going to fall to me. Like, I thought he'd make a great, like, he was falling and falling, and I thought I'd be able to sneak him in in, like, the last two or three rounds as my fourth defenseman or third if I wasn't planning on having four. I tried a couple different strategies out, which is the beauty of mock drafting. Anyway, now I have no interest in him, is all I'm saying. Jamie Drysdale, don't need to draft him on draft day. I think his time will come, uh, but... For those of us who were hoping you'd have the opportunity to break out this year with Klingberg in the picture, I don't think it's going to happen. One thing to just keep in the back of your mind is if Klingberg does not seem long for Anaheim, if he is building his value and contenders are sniffing around, Jamie Drysdale could be your fantasy playoffs MVP if he can step up onto that power play quarterback if John Klingberg is shipped out elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. We'll be talking about that in like March, you know, like who gets the value in Anaheim when Klingberg gets traded. I think he will get traded. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. So that's the Klingberg talk. And Brian, how about before we get into the schedule, you brought up the cupful. I really interrupted you just because I wanted you to finish your thought about your mock draft. But yeah, let's take a second to just mention that the registration for our league, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League is open and we want people to join. Like this is going to be a huge year for the cupful. We last year had 17 tiers, like over 400 managers, all those people competed. And, and the way it works is every year, uh, you know, we you start at the bottom if you're joining new. And then as you win and do well, you like climb up the, the mountain, you climb up the pyramid and eventually you make it up to tier one, which by the way, I won last year, but I won't mention that again on the show, I promise. Uh, so uh, we've even like made the rules even like easier for people to climb. So like we just released the latest relegation and promotion rules for like how last year affects this coming year. Like everyone who was 
was in tier seven, which was the new tier. And if they won their league, they're in tier four next year. They climbed up three. And like, we're going to, you know, like, so if you join now this year, you could like, before you know it, in a couple seasons, if you win a couple years in a row, you could find yourself right near the top right away. And either way, like, you're going to have a blast. You're going to be playing with really strong players, like all the fans of this podcast and patrons of Keeping Carlson. We make it a perk for patrons of Keeping Carlson at $5 a month in order to be eligible to play in the couples. You're guaranteed you're playing with hardcore people. And Brian and I and Kevin, who's our couple commissioner, are like putting our heart and soul and just making this an awesome league. We've made a couple interesting rule changes from last year. Brian, I was thinking maybe we can just really quickly go over what our... We're just going to like tease the schedule talk. We're going to get to the schedule. Don't worry. But I want to quickly tease like these two new rule changes, which we've announced, which I think are going to make the league just that little bit better. Brian, why don't you first talk about... I know you were really excited about this, but we're changing about the uh, draft order for next year. Oh, yeah. We're going to change the draft order. So in the Cuckupful, we're doing slow drafts is how we draft. We have managers, like over 400 managers from all over the world. So coordinating everybody to be there live for their scheduled draft time, really hard and also kind of unfair to anybody. Like we had people who would be up at 2 a.m. in their corner of the world or 4 a.m. or whatever, trying to draft live with everybody. And it's a thrill but it's not totally fun. And also drafting is one of the best parts of the year. So we do slow drafts over on Fantrax. So how that works, if you've never been on one, and it's how we're mocking, uh, you have a dra- you have a pick timer and it's your turn. And usually the pick timer in like a Yahoo live draft is between 30 and 90 seconds. Uh, our, our slow snake drafts have like an eight hour timer at the start and then we'll shorten it as needed and it freezes overnight. Anyway, it's really nice. It's a nice way to draft and really soak it in and extend the experience and like you get to chat more through it. A lot of fun. Come try it out with us. But the big change we're making, because we've done that already, the big change we're making to our drafts is we are implementing this feature Fantrax makes available, which is called the third round reversal, which means I'm going to try my best to get this right. It means that we're going to do a normal snake for the first round and then the second round. But in the third round, 14th overall is actually going to kick off the round instead of first overall, right? Because normally first overall would pick McDavid, first overall in the first round. Then they'd get like a player at the end of the second round who's probably pretty close to the play in quality to the players who I picked at the start of the second round. So they have McDavid plus a player who's equal to or close enough to being equal to 14th overall at the other end of the snake and then they get the top pick of round three which is when you know there can be kind of a cliff where things start to drop off so a person at 14th overall is like hey i miss the elite players and then things start to drop off before i get my third pick so this kind of levels the playing field a bit for anybody who gets that cheat code and Connor mcdavid or nathan mckinnon or kucherov or dry or matthews right off the hop it kind of levels it out a bit so that first overall, like we're not, I don't think Elon were making it unfair, but it is kind of unfair when you do get first to fifth overall, you get a player that is just not available to those at 14th. So the third round reversal, basically what you do is you repeat the second round draft order in the third round. So 14th overall picks first and you snake backwards for two consecutive rounds. And then we continue snaking from there. So 1 to 14 in the first round, 14 to 1 in the second round, 14 to 1 in the third round, and then 1 to 14 in the fourth round. And you keep reversing snaking from there. How'd I do? 
I think it makes sense. And yeah, just to really hammer home the motivation here, it's, yeah, it just seemed like a, too much of an advantage. And we had a lot of great patrons like running the numbers uh, and just like kind of really looking into like what's the impact of like having a first pick versus 14. And we just wanted to even it out a little bit where if you have 14th overall, it's like, uh, I missed it on the elite guys, but you get the first pick in the second round and the first pick in the third round to make up for it. And yeah, like Brian said, like sort of what's a typical like early second round pick in this year? Maybe you're getting like a Brady Kachuk or maybe you're getting like a Patrick Kane and then at the end of the second round who are you getting like maybe uh I'm trying to guess like a Jake Gensel or maybe a Jack Hughes type like is that really like that there's a little bit of a difference but maybe like not that much of a difference as opposed to the difference between you know first and 14th which is like McDavid versus I don't know Vasilevsky or it's a lot bigger between for the difference between 15th and 28th yeah. So anyway, our motivation is just to even it out a little bit. So hopefully now, if you get first overall, you'll still be happy. If you get 14th overall, you'll be a little bit more happy than you would have been otherwise. So that's just one of the changes we're making for Kakupful this year. Every, the thing with the Kakupful is every year, we always try to tweak the rules. We don't want to make any you know crazy changes. We want to tweak it just a little bit to make it more fair and more fun for everyone. Another big change we're making is last year, if you played, you may have noticed that goalies had a lot of value. Like when you were basically deciding on who to stream on a Sunday to get that last games played, it was like, obviously try to find a goalie because they were getting too many points per game. So we've decided to like cut down the value of goalies just a little bit. We've changed the value of a save from 0.35 to 0.3, which doesn't sound like much, but actually it does have an impact. Also in general, just my feeling with goalies in fantasy is it's like, this is the most unpredictable position, right? Like, I, you go into your draft, you try your best to pick, you know, if you get Vasilevsky and Shostjorkin, yeah, you're probably going to get, like, really good results. But, like, otherwise, you take a swing. Sometimes that you, you take a high pick on a goalie, and they end up not even being that good. Look at Robin Leonard last year. Or, and sometimes you, like, wait a while and just grab the next best available goalie. You end up getting, like, Frederick Anderson as, like, the 12th, and then he ends up being one of the best, right? And it's like, do we really want the person who just kind of lucked into the best goalie or had bad luck and ended up using a high pick and not getting a goalie. Should that really like have such a huge impact on who wins the league? Like obviously we want goaltending to matter, but we don't want it to necessarily be like, you need to get a good goalie at the right time in order to win. Uh, so yeah, by decreasing the value of goalies, I feel like what we're also doing is just decreasing the impact of luck, which I think is good. So you, you'll draft a good goalie. You'll try your best. If you don't draft a good goalie, if you, you know, you'll still have a chance to win by just maybe like dropping your goalies and running more skaters or only running one goalie or trying to stream. So, you know, we're just trying to open up more avenues to victory. So, so yeah, that's the uh, explanation for why we've decreased goalie values a little bit. And you'll be able to go to our rules site and link to some data on like using last year's stats, how everyone ranks and how everything shakes out with our new goalie scoring. But I think I think it's going to be good. I think we've got it. You know, we've been tweaking up and down. Maybe a couple years ago, people were annoyed that goalie value was like too low and that like the way we had it, there were a lot of negative games, which really hurt you. I think I think we might have it just right now. So obviously, we'll see how it goes, like a little pinch of salt, uh, see how things go next year. And if it's, uh, you know, if it's not just right, then maybe it'll be uh, add a little sugar. I don't know. I don't know about how how to cook. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe some cayenne if things need, like are feeling really drab with the new goalie scoring, but I don't think they will be. And I think drab goalie scoring is kind of what you want. The bane of fantasy since I've been playing is how to moderate or mitigate the impact of goalies. You want them to count, but they can so easily decide everything. And a lot of league design is figuring out exactly how powerful you want them to be. And as you mentioned, Elon, back in season six, so it was a couple years ago, we're about to enter season eight of the Kikupful. Back in season six, people were frustrated because their goalies were giving them, were getting overly, we had a high penalty. It was negative two fantasy points for a goal against. 
And people were frustrated because they were starting goalies a lot. And just when their goalies got shelled, uh, they got a negative. And they're like, skaters can't get negative points, so why should goalies? Okay, good point. So we tried to tweak it last season. What ended up happening in season seven was it felt like goalies became a little too powerful and became the obvious stream. Like, it was always worth trying to get a goalie. Like, an average goalie game was way better, even from a streamer. And as Elon said, goalie game is totally random. Goalies are almost completely random beings. So you could get a a star game out of a goalie uh, versus uh, an average game out of a... Remember when Carol Vemalka had, like, 40 saves against the Leafs on a Sunday? It was, like, 25. Over 20. Yeah, over 20 (laughs) points. Like, they were huge. Casey DeSmith, by the way, had the biggest goalie game of the cupful last season which is just another like way to show yeah like goalies are crazy and we need to we need to figure out how to have them in the league without them taking over so hopefully we have uh we've got it just right someone uh, mason in the chat uh, on our discord server was saying you know like now our sort of scoring is lining up a lot with how default public league settings have been and it was like have you guys been trying to get too cute over the years and now you've found your way here have you succumbed to pressure and it's like yeah i think we just organically we tried to set it up a certain way we tweaked it as elon says we'll tweak it again and it'll be interesting because in season six you could go with zero goalies and win in season seven you could not it seemed almost very very it was very hard to win if you didn't have at least one reliable workhorse starter if not too. Uh, and so I'm actually curious, uh, Nate over at Apples and Genos, the Apples and Genos podcast is in the cupful. And like, he's written about his zero G strategy. And then after the end of this past season, he wrote about how he was wrong about zero G's. So now I'm curious to see if zero G's can somehow be uh, another I'm sure he'll he'll do the work and let us all know and how our goalie scoring is shaking out this year. But I'm excited for it. Goalies still important, but not too important. Yeah. Okay. So those are just a couple of the things we've been cooking up in uh, Cupful Labs. So we obviously have a lot of our other cool, unique features of the league, like our somewhat controversial, but I still contend, Brian, we talked about a lot in an earlier episode. I think our rule about being able to do counter offers to trades makes our league like a lot better. You don't have to worry too much about like ripoff trades ruining your league. We have that a lot of other things. So, you know, over the next few episodes, we'll be telling you more about the Cupful, but really just trust us. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. If you haven't played before, Cupful com register, get in there, and we're going to have an amazing season. Yeah, we have a lot of people who come in and say, like, I've conquered my home leagues, and I want to see what this is all about. And it's accessible. Like Elon said, like, it's hardcore if you want to be hardcore. But if you're if you're also learning the ropes, it's also a safe place to do that, too. Like, all our leagues are moderated. Everybody's, like, it's a tiered system. So you are going to be playing against managers of similar uh, similar quality and competition, especially after your first year. Uh, yeah, so come check it out. You've uh, you've played against the rest. Now play against the vest. Is that one. a good? I don't know if that's if that's the tagline. Actually, Brandon, our logo guy, likes take on the world. He suggested we use that. Yeah. I said it to him in a chat. It is cool. You play against people from all over. So yeah, yeah. that's that's the cupful. With that, Brian, let's take a break and then finally get to the schedule, which we've teased. It's in the episode title and everyone thought that's what they're going to be listening to. So that's what you're going to get in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. 
All right, we are back, and Brian, for part two of this episode, let's dive into the 2022-23 NHL schedule. We had a question back when the schedule was dropped back in early July, and it was a patron, Mike Bogdan, who had the idea for us. He said, with the schedule officially out, an episode going over it would be sweet, teams with the most back-to-backs, off nights, etc. How did they affect goalies and teams, overall fantasy implications? And I thought, like, that's a great idea. We've never really done this, and I think it's such a critical part of planning for the season. So let's devote an episode to it. So like we said at the top, there's just so many different ways to like, like I decided today to sit down and start doing some schedule analysis. And there's just so many different ways to like look at the schedule, so many lenses to look at it as. So we'll just go through some examples of different things that may matter to you. And as we go through it, we can discuss like how we think this matters, if you should take take this into account when you're drafting. Uh, So to start it off, let's just look at the total number of games for the season, right? You might think, oh, well, everyone plays 82 games a season. What are you talking about? But of course, the fantasy season is not the same with the regular season like for the couple we're not counting those last two weeks because for obvious reasons right like the nhl's crazy right at the end of the season like teams are resting their stars uh they're not we don't consider them to be like significant games it's, it's too annoying to be playing in a fantasy league where you have to be worried that like your star player is just going to get benched because they're getting rested for the real playoffs so if you look at the total number of games for the season that include that's just like the fantasy season at least for us in the couple not counting the last couple of weeks uh brian the islanders the team that you said was your bane last year that played so little at the start of the year this year you're actually getting one more game out of the islanders they're playing 78 games during that uh stretch of the season not including the last couple of weeks uh as opposed to seattle kraken who play the fewest number of games 75 so you know if there's a tiebreaker and you're looking at an islander versus a kraken player yeah those couple extra games might make a difference for you of course it depends when in the season those things are happening but that was like the first sort of overall thing i wanted to throw out there that uh start the season or like all the way up until the fantasy playoffs yeah the islanders play the most and uh seattle plays the least is this something that you're gonna take into account like i almost feel like a lot of this will be i'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff at you brian and then i'm gonna ask like do you care and if so like how much or can we just move on you know i don't really care about who's playing the most or the least i care about when they're playing as you already alluded to so just and i've already sort of like torpedoed the islanders by the way someone who i find is falling in mocks i find anders lee and matt barzal are both falling in mocks noah dobson is not like he still uh seems like a pretty hot commodity um and i know anders lee has not uh looked like his best self for a while but i'm still pretty high on what he's able to do like he was a 60 point player two seasons ago and uh, like i know he's been a 50 point player in his career more times than a 60 point player but i'm wondering if a coaching change is going to help getting him going i think an addition of another center would work well for him so he's someone that i'm kind of watching as like a later round like i'm not gonna go get him where i usually can but this is a guy who has the potential to score 40 goals in the league he's done it before i think he's also good for 30 goals in leagues that reward goal scoring as a format. I think he'll still be on the top power play. So I like Anders Lee. I'm not drafting him more because the Islanders play the most games during the fantasy season. Again, it depends on when. But while we're talking about the Islanders, he's someone I kind of have my eye on for a a potential bounce back. Yeah, well, keep in mind, when you're talking about Barzal and Lee forever, for the past like, few seasons, it's been those two playing together. Last year, right at the end, they swapped it out, and Lee was playing with Brock Nelson and Beauvillier, and that Lee-Nelson connection like, exploded. Like They were so good. Like Anders Lee, like when you look at his total numbers on the season, yeah, it was only a 50-point pace, but if you dive into the splits, he only had 14 points in his first 30 games. The second half was fantastic. He had 32 points in 46 games with a ton of goals, and yeah, it seemed like things 
went really well with Brock Nelson, which is like good for Lee and good for Nelson. But again, that maybe makes me a little more nervous about a Matt Barzell because I don't know who he's going to be playing with next year if he's not on that top line with Anders Lee. Like last year, Barzell ended the season playing with like Parisi and, and Wallstrom, which I don't love for him if that continues. Uh, so yeah, but anyway, I guess that's uh, I don't know if you want to respond to that or if I can move on to my next tidbit about the schedule for you. I'll just say that Brock Nelson is not someone I expect to repeat his season last year. And that might be a little hypocritical because I am saying it based on his shooting percentage, whereas Anders Lee, his 40 goal season, like Brock Nelson for the number, he shot 22% last year. He shoots 14% over the course of his career and his shots didn't look any more dangerous or threatening than in prior seasons. So I'm not buying in that he's going to be a 40 goal score, a 70 point guy. I think he's probably going to go back to, uh, you know, a 55, 60 point guy. Actually, he'll be an interesting person to watch because he was Barry Trotz's favorite. Like he was Barry Trotz's basically son on the team. So we'll see how a coaching change impacts his play. Whereas Anders Lee uh, had his big year with also big shooting percentages before we knew whether or not he could keep them up. And after oscillating back and forth a couple of years between like really impressive shooting percentage and pedestrian ones, he's still kind of bouncing back and forth, which is why I think there's hope. It, like if you asked me, Elon, who's going to score more goals next year, I would take Anders Lee over Brock Nelson, which might be a bit of a hot take just going by their numbers last year. But going over their career numbers, I don't think it's hot at all. Okay. Yeah, I all agree with you there. You uh, just so want yeah. to move on from <laughs> Brock Nelson and Anders Lee, as you should. A little. Yeah, yeah I, we, have we all do. To get to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like I said, Seattle has the fewest number of games uh, over that uh, stretch of the season that we care about for fantasy. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited. It's still, I'm going to draft my Bjorkstrand late if I can get him. You know, we'll see what happens with the goaltending if Grubauer can pick things up. But yeah, like, I guess, of course, though, like you said, Brian, what matters not as much as the total number of games is like when the games are happening if you look at I don't know so there's both there's kind of two lenses here I feel like I care a lot about what's going to happen like to start the year and the reason for that is like for my lower picks that I'm going to pick in fantasy maybe I'm just going to like focus on guys who are going to help me in the short term that I'm maybe going to be willing to drop once their like schedule dies off right so it's sort of I always like to look at like the first few weeks of the season then I also obviously like to look at the fantasy playoffs and you have to be careful because you have to make the playoffs of course uh, but if you do make the fantasy playoffs you obviously want to have players that play a lot of games for you so if you want to look at So what should I give you first here? Let me give you, uh, let's let's look at the start of the season, okay? Because while I said that the Islanders play the most overall, actually, they're not in the list of teams that play the most uh, in the first, let's say, four weeks. I I broke down, I looked at the first four matchups on Yahoo, which is actually over five weeks. The first week of the season is actually really weird. There's only, uh, there's like one game on a Thursday, one game on a Friday, and they're both Nashville versus San Jose in Prague. And then there's like no game games until like the next Tuesday and then they go Tuesday till Saturday of like normal games and that's sort of the first official week of Yahoo so right off the bat I'm looking at Nashville and San Jose right you're going to get those two extra games right at the start so if you're at the end of your draft taking your last pick maybe you grab a Ryan Johansson or you know over like whatever other sleeper you had and then you know you could always drop him for someone else after those first two games maybe you grab even a Kevin Lankinen who I don't know if people even are aware but he's the backup for UC Saros now for next year I assume I mean I guess he has to still earn the job in camp but he signed a 1.5 million dollar one-year contract so I'm sure they're not just going to give UC Saros I mean who knows it's just the start of the year and after that they're going to have a long break so you know now that I'm saying it maybe they do just give Saros both games to have a strong start of the year I think he could handle just 
just two days of playing in a row with a long break before and a long break after. So maybe ignore my suggestion about Kevin Lankinen. But at least uh, for the skaters, yeah, those are two teams to look at. Uh, And then as far as the most games, again, over those first four matchups, I'll just throw you a bunch of teams here. It looks like LA is going to play 14 times, San Jose 14 times, and then the following teams play uh, 13 times, Toronto, Vegas, Washington, Florida, and Anaheim. So those are some teams you may want to target just to get a lot of games early on in the season. And then your teams to avoid would be St. Louis and Calgary, who only play nine and 10 times overall in those first four matchups which stinks. That's like just uh, nine times in four matchups. That's just barely over two games per week. That's like what Brian, you were talking about with the Islanders, right? So like, I like St. Louis. I'm not going to shy away from like a Tarasenko because of this, though it will be really annoying to have Tarasenko. And that, yeah, maybe on for a tiebreaker, I would maybe shy away because I don't want to like lose my first four matchups because I'm hardly getting games for my superstars. Uh, so anyway, those are some takeaways, Brian. What, what do you want to say to all of that that I just said? I was going to say that I think these are decisions that mostly impact your last few picks. Like the guys you're going to be churning out anyway. Like there's there's two choices you can make with your late round picks in your draft. The first is to go for like the low cost, high upside players. And I'm, I'm thinking back to last, last year. I know Michael Bunting was one of them. Yessi Yarvi was another. Like these guys, and they both went... Well, similar directions for a bit and then opposite by the end of the season. But you can look for those guys who have that huge upside who are going to be boom or bust. And you have kind of dibs on them. Lucas Raymond was another one who, well, he kind of fooled me personally at the start of the season by busting and then booming. But that's that's an option, right? You can go for the guy who's going to end up giving you value way above that draft pick, but there's maybe like a 10, 20% chance he's going to do it. And that's a fun way to use your picks. The other way, uh, and you're going to turn those guys out if they don't perform in the first week or two anyway. Uh, the other way is to save yourself the, the, the cost of churning in time spent and moves spent and start by just adding your first couple streamers. Like if you look at it, if you're drafting in a couple, we have an 18 team, 18 man rosters. You can look at it and say, I have 18 players on my roster, four moves a week. I'm going to look at my last four players as my streamers. And you can start streaming at the draft. And that's when you might start avoiding the players who are not playing often at the start of the season, St. Louis and Calgary. Like I wouldn't be looking at, I don't know, Noah Hannafin with my 17th round pick if I can pick someone who's just going to play more often because Hannafin might get churned out anyway. So those those are two strategies. Go high upside or start streaming at the draft with your late round picks. But Elon, like you said, for sure, I wouldn't want Vladimir Tarasenko to be sitting doing nothing for the first few weeks, which are crucial in fantasy, right? You don't ever want to have to be playing from behind, especially in a super competitive league. I wouldn't bump him too far down my draft list because of it. But if there are two players that I see as equal, yeah, I'll look to the schedule to tie break. But I might also look and see how St. Louis's playoff schedule is looking. And if it's really good, I might decide to suffer through the beginning of the season with Tarasenko so that I can get extra games out of him later, which Elon, I'm sure you're going to tell us uh, shortly who's going to have the best playoff schedule. Yeah, I mean, I could do that right now for you if you'd like. Well, specifically with St. Louis. So again, like obviously it depends on your league, right? So this is going to have to be an exercise to the uh, listener here to go Dauber Hockey, like at Frozen Tools. They have a really great schedule tool 
So you can go look at that. Or I even made one myself. Uh, keepingcarlson.com slash tools will take you to my spreadsheet where you can play around with the schedule a little bit. Uh, but for the cupful, right, the way we do it is six teams make the playoffs and we have three playoff rounds. The first and second ranked teams get a bye for the first two weeks. And then after that, uh, yeah, so then, you know, three places six and, and four plays five. And then so then there's like two weeks after that potential bye week. So if you get the bye, you don't have to worry about that March 13th to 19th week. Uh, the next two matchups, your semifinals and finals, St. Louis plays four times in each of those weeks. So if you, if you had Tarasenko all the way through, if he's still on St. Louis, I guess there's still rumors that he might get traded. So maybe he's not the best example here. But yeah, St. Louis has a pretty good schedule. Um, I mean, the playoffs are really tough to look at in terms of who's going to play a lot. Because I, I mean, you have to get like, you could say like who plays the most throughout the whole time. But it's almost like if you get eliminated, who cares how many games your team plays in the finals. So like I'm looking at, for example, teams that play four times in each of the first two weeks of our playoffs are Boston, Colorado, Nashville, Toronto, and Vancouver. So right away, like we've said, Nashville is a team that also plays two times to start the year. So you're getting Philip Forsberg, and he's going to give you two games, right, to start the season. You're also getting a couple good weeks to start your fantasy playoffs if you make it. So they're a team to look at. Though, there's going to be pros and cons with all these teams, because when I get to uh, light days, Nashville is actually not going to do well in that metric. So I'll get to that in just a sec. Uh, So but anyways, as far as your playoffs, I, I don't know, Brian, I don't really want to dive too deep into playoff schedules just because so many people's leagues are different. And also it really depends what you want to weigh. I will say for a couple, two teams that don't have a good first week schedule for the quarterfinals, Detroit and Florida are the only teams that play two games in that first week. So if you scrape into the playoffs, like not first or second, but if you're in third through sixth and you're like depending, if you have like a stack of like Barkov, Matthew Kachuk, and I don't know, Sam Reinhardt, that's going to make it really hard for you in that first round. So you may want to avoid ink cupful anyways, loading up on too many Panthers and Red Wings, just because you're not going to get too many games out of them in that first week. And again, these are good things to keep in mind for your tie break decisions. It's not like I, I wouldn't want to put too much weight in any of this, like in bumping a player drastically up or down my draft list. But this is something you can do if you're really having a hard time looking. And I would actually use the playoff schedule. Of course, Elon said we're not going to get into it because too many leagues have different playoff schedules, but you know yours. Uh, Find the schedule. Actually, someone, I really should shout them out. Someone on Reddit, like the subreddit for r slash fantasy hockey, does a fantastic job of posting a schedule. We also, Elon, you maintain your own over at our our suite of tools that you can access at kakupful.com as well. Uh, that's I'd be looking more to make my decision over who has the better playoff schedule than who has the worst opening couple weeks schedule. <laughs> and going back to Nashville, just for a second, Brian, I think... just to be what? fair, like just to really hammer the point home, like it's hard yeah. to make the playoffs. And so, in Kakupful, it's hard. I wouldn't focus too much. I, I know there's someone on this call who didn't make the playoffs. And if you drafted based <laughs> on that, that wouldn't have helped. Maybe you took your Islanders because you liked those, that good playoff schedule. Yeah, that's a very good point. Don't take anything for granted. And I am speaking, uh, yeah, in the cupful, you're you're right. In the top tiers of the cupful, you don't want to look too far ahead to the playoffs. You don't want to be stuck once you get there. But it's a point very well taken. But also, I think one thing to keep in mind is there's trades in fantasy, right? So you could maybe not necessarily worry about the playoff schedule when you draft. But then maybe once you see, oh, my team's looking pretty good. I think I'm going to maybe get... Then you can like trade away your Florida player for... uh, 
like I said, it's like a St. Louis player, you know? So like wait, wait out the, those first few bad weeks where St. Louis doesn't play much and then trade. And maybe the person who has Tarasenko isn't really thinking in that like clever way. They're just kind of thinking, man, I, I stink. I'm losing right now. Clearly Tarasenko is not helping me enough. They're not realizing in their head that it's because St. Louis hasn't played much, you know? And maybe you can like jump on that and be like, Tarasenko, where does he rank in the league standings? Like he's way down there. <laughs> or, uh, so uh, yeah, maybe uh, that, that would be another strategy you could employ. Like you sort of like play the schedule, make trades for the teams at the right time. Which, of course, depends very much on how aware your opponents are of the schedule. Like, in Kikupful every year, like, I know who the Sharks are because around January or just even December when they're feeling good about their playoff position, I'm getting trade offers from my guys who have top playoff schedules. Like, it does become a race to add those guys once you're in a nice position. Uh, But yeah, like I said, point very well taken, Elon. That's my hubris speaking, which is undeserved based on my performance in the the last couple of years. Well, no, it's totally fair uh, that you like focus on the regular season for uh, like I was speaking more to like your home league, your friends league. I think if you've done well in that league for long enough, you can probably start looking to the playoffs when you're building your draft. Again, as a tiebreaker, you don't want to put yourself out for the regular season but in an ultra competitive league yeah you don't want to you don't want to look too far ahead and the point on Nashville I was going to make by the way is I think uh I'm, I'm just going to put out that this is a very pointless prediction but I think UC Saros is going to start both of those games yeah in check in in <laughs> Czechia I convinced myself of that as I was saying the thing about yeah. Kevin Lankin. Uh, okay, so here's a new metric. I, we're still going to get to like, uh, I'm sure people think, what about off days? What about back-to-back? That's the most common. I'll save those. Here's a new metric I never really thought of before. One of our really cool patrons brought this up and I was going to uh, share it with you guys. And that's like sort of this like concept of risk for a team's schedule. So you know how like throughout the fantasy season, there's some weeks where you have players that play two times and there's some weeks that you have players play four times. It's sort of like, it's very rare that you have a one or a five right like it's based this season actually the only team that has a five game week is philly at one point like you don't want anyone from philly anyways right but anyway uh so basically it's like two is bad four is good and then most teams just play three times every week and there's actually like a concept i guess of risk is what we can call it of like i'd say a riskier team to have players on is a team that has a lot of four game weeks and a lot of two game weeks, right? Because like some weeks it's going to be like huge for you and you're going to get so many games and other weeks you're really going to be behind the eight ball and lower in total games played compared to your opponent potentially. While you could have other teams that pretty much only have three game weeks all season long. Uh, So for example, the Montreal Canadiens are the only team that has no two game weeks. So you can grab your Nick Suzuki or your Cole Caulfield and never have to worry about, unless they get injured, but you know, never have to worry about like their team not playing enough. Like they're either going to give you three games or they're going to give you four games. So unfortunately, you're not getting a lot of those four game weeks. They only have five four game weeks as opposed to the team with the most four game weeks is Anaheim. So Anaheim has 11 four game weeks, but also five two game weeks. So, so if you have Trevor Zegers, you're going to have 11 weeks where you're loving life, you're getting Zegers all the time, then you're also going to have five weeks where you're like, ugh, this stinks. And and so I don't know, you have to maybe look at your league, like a league like the Cupful, like in order to make the playoffs, you probably need to, ha- like it's only six out of 14, right? Make the playoffs. So that means you need to have a better than 500 schedule to get in. So in a league like that, maybe you want to potentially not take the risk of having too many Anaheim guys because those five weeks where they're only playing twice, 
is going to hurt you. Yeah, maybe you'll be really well off. But imagine you still lose a couple of those four game weeks just because maybe your opponent also had a really good schedule or for whatever you had an injury. And the next thing you know, it's like you're really behind the eight ball. So again, I don't really know what the right, I'm curious to see what your take is. Brian, like, should you take the more risky teams or the least risky teams? I think it's a good concept. So I'll just throw out the the team names here. Uh, Montreal, like I said, the least risky. No two game weeks at all but the fewest number of four game weeks. Uh, Then the teams that have only one two game week are LA, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Tampa, and Toronto. So I said before that Seattle like has the least number of games, but at least like you're getting, you're getting at least three games per week out of them every week, except for one. Uh, And then on the other side, I know this is like so much info. People might want to just like re-listen to this podcast. (laughs) I don't know. I like it. Or you could just like, we'll share all our data with the patrons. Of course, Uh, the high risk teams, the teams that have a lot of four game weeks and a lot of two game weeks, uh, Anaheim, Arizona, Boston, Florida, St. Louis, Winnipeg, all have 10 or 11 four game weeks, but then also more two game weeks. Uh, So it's a lot. Of, it's a, how, how can you really like remember all these team names? But just a concept that you can decide if that's important to you. And Brian, is that important to you? High risk versus low risk? Man, I don't know. I, you know, I feel like those four game weeks, when you're streaming, you're very happy to find a player with a four game week. And if you already have someone on your roster who's playing four times, that's a freebie and you're excited for it. Of course, it's offset. You're going to be hurt about, you know, relatively as many times as you're going to be helped by those extra games. A three-game week, I don't know, Elon, it's kind of like blah. Like the Montreal, like it, it's great they barely, they never play twice in a week. But to me, that's not a, a plus. Like I want, if I'm going to draft a star, I want them to be going, you know, like on average three and a half times per week. If that's, I guess everyone on average is going to be roughly the same amounts of games per week. But I'm happy to get a few four-game weeks in and then chance a couple two-game weeks where I hope the rest of my team carries me. Uh, I don't know if that's a high-risk strategy. I also think there's no right or wrong thing to do. This is just like basic preference but i think i'd rather have the extra help some week and then some weeks and then have to fight a little harder in the others when my players are playing less and i think while i'm saying that i'm realizing how mad i will be when my guys have just two games i'll probably be in my division chat being like oh how am i supposed to win when philip forsberg's only playing twice this week but i just think that's how it goes i i wouldn't put i think it's good to keep an eye on especially for streamers but i, I don't think i would let this change my draft board at all let me prioritize players from one team over another because they have like a different distributions in their schedule yeah i i get what you're saying i maybe it's a matter of quantity maybe you just don't want to have too many high risk teams i'll be curious to hear from the patrons and like from the listeners you could tweet at us also keeping at keeping carlson let us know what you think about this concept because this is kind of something new that we just was invented i guess i don't know recently uh hadn't really ever thought about it before maybe you don't want to have too many players from different teams that all have like this high number of two game weeks uh though then you are getting though the i guess that actually could be okay as long as you spread it out because then hopefully you're getting like when one of those players is playing in a two game week maybe the other one is playing in a four game week so maybe it does work out for you so maybe it is fine so maybe you're right brian maybe maybe it's not a big deal and yeah the habs are especially going to be annoying because not only do they never or barely ever have four game weeks only five which is the fewest of all the teams uh but also the almost the majority of Habs weeks are Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So that gets to our next concept about the schedule, these, these off days versus busy days. So the Habs have a lot of three-game weeks, and they also have the fewest light day games. So maybe before I 
not the fewest. I mean, they're among the fewest of the teams in terms of light day games. So why is light days versus heavy days important? So just to give a quick uh, recap of that, if you're playing week, this only matters, obviously, if you're playing like head to head, like week, like one week at a time, right? And so, and this also only matters if you're in a league where you have like bench spots. So you have like, let's say 18 players on your team, but you can only fit 10 forwards, like four defensemen, like however it works. And the couple, we have six, uh, like, you know, two centers, two left wing, two right wing. And then we also have two util spots. So theoretically, you can have up to eight forwards and then there's four d spots which gets to 12 and two goalies yeah yeah and then the four bench spots so if let's say all of your player let's say you have 18 players on your roster and you only have eight forward spots and if it's a busy day if it's a saturday where almost all the teams are playing people know what i'm talking about here you're gonna have to make some bench decisions you're gonna have to like have some forwards that even though they're playing you're not gonna be able to actually play them on your fantasy team they're sitting on your bench if they do well it's the most frustrating thing in the world right it sucks to have to make it wouldn't it be better if on the saturday only eight of your forwards were playing and then also but on the friday like those ones that weren't playing on the saturday they played on those days that day you know and on sunday let's say you had some forwards play friday sunday and then all your other forwards played saturday then you're getting all the games as opposed to if they all just play on the same day you're not getting as many games so that's why if you could have a lot of players that play on these light days where there's not as many other people playing you're going to end up getting more games overall and like the king of light days every single year i don't know why but it's anaheim they're the best okay? i know why i oh, asked yeah. one year Okay, remind us. So yeah, it had to do with like another sport, right? No, it had to do with LA. Like Anaheim and LA have this like informal agreement between each other that LA plays on the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays and Anaheim schedules theirs on the off days in between at home. And so the, uh, home day, the home games are not going to be on busy days. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I guess it's because of their proximity. They're both California teams. Like, I don't think they need to do this. It's not like they share an arena or anything. But there is this, like, sort of a camaraderie between them where they, they have this unspoken agreement. And you'd think maybe they'd flip it year in, year out, right? But I guess LA was there first. They want those Saturday night games. They don't want to compete with anyone for them. And somehow they make it worth Anaheim's while. But this is a calculated thing. Okay, well, good to know. And uh, by the way, I guess the one unsaid thing, that we, which we sort of like hinted at is, yeah, the, in the NHL, for whatever reason, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are your busy days, okay? Mo- like I actually saw a graphic from the Dauber Guide which again, we recommend you check out. Uh, this season, 18% of the games, almost 19% are on Tuesday. Uh, almost over 20% is on Thursday. And then almost uh, 24% of the season are played on Saturday, as opposed to Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're looking at like 10% or less. So it's just like a huge... In fact, it's actually like last year was better. Like this year's worse than last year for that. Like this year, there's more games on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and fewer games on the off day. So the off day advantage is even more pronounced. So again, these Anaheim, so like in my spreadsheet that I made at keepingcarlson.com slash tools, uh, I just like counted like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday as like the off days, which for the most part they are, like there are some weird weeks where like a Monday happens to have the busy games. So this is like an approximation, right? Of, of like, like slow days. But if you're just counting like the number of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday games, Anaheim has 43 out of the 82 games, as opposed to Montreal only 21 off day games. So like I said, it's like, it's like more than double 
for Anaheim. Like you're going to be fitting all those Anaheim games into your schedule. So at, while you're going to be having to sit players and like, you might be thinking, Oh, well, whatever I'm drafting Cole Caulfield. I'm never going to bench him. He's like above my eighth ranked forward, but you have to think beyond that because fine, you're not going to bench him. But then you're going to have to bench someone else because you needed to slot in Caulfield on that busy day. So when you have Zegris, you get to play him on the light. Day. Ho- hopefully I've made it clear that you need to like have those light day games to get more games. That's like what the stream scheme is all about, right? Like Dave Benton has this awesome podcast uh, called the stream scheme, which uh, I guess we can make the announcement, Brian, we're going to be putting stream scheme into our feed next year. So Every Sunday, you're going to be getting in your Keeping Carlson feed uh, this awesome show from Dave where he breaks down the schedule for the next week, basically this episode, but every week where he like tells us about what's the schedule for the next week. And he you know basically comes up with who has the best schedule of the week. And it's always the team that plays a lot and a lot on off day games so that when you stream, it, it's called streams because you're streaming in players and you're adding and dropping players. That's called streaming. And you're going to stream in a player. There's no point in adding a player out of free agency that only plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and on your roster, you're already full for those days. You're adding someone who's not even going to play for you, right? You want to stream in someone that has what Dave calls a stream Okay, what's the song? It's like something from Mario Party or something. I think it's Kirby. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> well, anyways, yeah, you want to get that stream Agami, which is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, like four games all on off days. Wow, that's like the sweetest stream. You're going to get all four games from that person that you add. Uh, so anyways, we're excited to uh, be working with Dave. Uh, but my point was again, so I guess I'll just say some of the other teams. So there's Anaheim is the best. Uh, other teams that have a lot of off day games and that you want to target, or at least uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday games, Arizona, Colorado, Chicago, Edmonton, right away, like Edmonton and Colorado. So like if you didn't already need a reason to draft McKinnon and, and McDavid or Dreisaitl, like their teams also uh, Minnesota. So Kaprizov gets a bump because he's going to also play those off day games. Uh, Islanders, so the Islanders have been all over this episode, right? They have the most games of the season and they have a lot of off day games. But of course, Brian thinks they suck. So maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> Rangers, Toronto, Vancouver and Winnipeg is actually really high in the list. So if you want to get your uh, Kyle Connor, he's going to give you a lot of off day games. And then the teams that are bad for that are Montreal, Nashville, LA and Tampa all only have 21 off day games. The teams I listed above are all over 30. Uh, so that's uh that that's the breakdown and again like look at your league really like you have to kind of do your own analysis there you maybe want to break it down even into like the first month of the season who has like more depending on like what we talked about before but yeah, definitely something that i want all of our listeners to know very well if you're playing in a weekly league you want to know who's playing in these off day games absolutely i, I don't think i have whole, a whole lot more to add Elon. Uh, like this is one reason why john gibson in past seasons has always been such an attractive draft target to me because especially with goalies you only have so many slots and you don't know who's going to be playing on any given night so having the anaheim goalie especially if you think he's going to be good which uh, he hasn't been for the last three seasons but assuming that he could have been good it's exciting to be able to land a goalie who's going to be playing on off nights and you're going to be getting games played that way uh it's really hard to have three goalies and not have them interfere with one another although we have a tool that elon has built called uh, what's it called the roster max is it the roster maximizer yeah, roster maximizer yeah and you can find that also on our tools page over at kukovl.com anyway uh that's my takeaway from all this is like elon you're doing a great job you're schooling us on how to think through 
the schedule. There's not a ton of takeaways for this at your draft table. That's where I'm trying to keep connecting things back. Like, yeah, oh, I'd there prefer, is. I think you well, want. Well, I would off prefer. I would prefer off day guys over over heavy day guys. Like that's. I, but I think you made that clear. Sorry, no new ones from me that I can offer. So mm-hmm. I, I like that. Like you mentioned already, bump up those Anaheim guys. Uh, and uh, there's some guys who are already bumped way up your list. Like you mentioned McDavid and McKinnon. And actually, this is probably. You know, rather, we were talking earlier in the show about whether to try and emphasize players who are playing many games early in the season or late in the season. I would like my first tie break ahead of both those things is going to be the light days versus heavy days games played because it's just more games for your roster. Less worry about streaming. If you can have a guy on your roster who's good and reliable and playing off days throughout the season, that's a, that's a nice thing to have in your pocket because you can get more games streamed in through the year. Yeah, exactly. Okay, the other big thing that we need to get to that people care a lot about for the schedule and for good reason are back-to-backs. So that's when a team plays two days in a row. And like, why does it matter? Well, first of all, the team generally doesn't play as well. I don't know if that's even true. I know, Brian, that's something you've brought up. Like, that's sort of like a thing that I think is true, though I haven't seen updated data. So maybe, Brian, you've seen something. But like, the, the theory is like the team is like tired on the second day. They're not going to play as well. So maybe that would be a reason to like avoid teams that have a lot of back-to-backs. But uh, the main It's more reason, a goalie thing. Oh, okay. It's more a goalie thing. So yeah, but the goalies... This has nothing to do with performance. This is just most coaches, maybe not the Nashville coach for Prague, but normally when a team has a back-to-back, they usually don't play their starter in both games. So if you have a team that's going to have a lot of back-to-backs in a season, that's a sign that probably the backup is going to play at least that many games, right? And the starter is going to have that at least that many games off because why would the coach run their starter into the ground? There's obviously exceptions all the time, but generally that's the rule. I think for this season... Like so Columbus has the most back to backs and that's at sixteen. So it's not like that many, right? So like yeah, you could be like, oh, Elvis Merzlikens now has these 16 games where he's for sure not going to play. But like, I already knew that Elvis wasn't going to play more than like 60 games, you know? Like there's no, a team isn't going to run their goal into the ground. So when I look at these numbers of back-to-backs, like we have Columbus at the top with 16, then a few teams with 15, Islanders, Islanders is in every list, Islanders, Rangers, Pittsburgh. So you might be like, oh no, like Shostjorkin will sit a little more, Sorokin will sit a little more, Jari, but like, I don't know, it's still not that many to me. And the fewest is like uh, Vegas has six and Seattle has six. So they have the fewest. So on one hand, you might think, oh, that's great for their, you know, workhorse starters. But first of all, Vegas like probably doesn't want to play Leonard so many games anyway. Like I feel like even if it's not a back-to-back, like they're like, I'm, you know, maybe that's good that they're like not going to have to rest him even more than just on back-to-backs, but maybe even give him longer breaks. Uh, and like Seattle, yeah, Grubauer, could be a workhorse. We'll see if he's good. So that could, like, yeah. So uh, theoretically, I could say, like, this is great. Like, you should draft Grubauer a bit higher because Seattle only has six back-to-backs all season. So theoretically, uh, especially with Drieger injured and, like, Martin Jones as the backup, Seattle might just play Grubauer almost every game and they won't even have to worry about tying him up with back-to-backs. So I don't know. But at the same time, like, am I really going to tell people that you have to, like, rush to grab Grubauer because of the fewer back-to-backs? I'm still worried about him if he's actually good at goalie. But, like, I would take him. I would take him in a couple if I could get him cheap enough in the auction. Uh, so anyway, I don't know, Brian, to me, like, I'm just looking at these numbers and thinking from 16 as the most and six as the fewest. So it's, it's not really speaking to me as something to worry about too much, I guess, is what I'm going to come down to here. I'm actually more interested. So yeah, you want to be a little wary of goalies who have a lot of back-to-back scheduled if you know their coach isn't going to play them on both ends of that back-to-back or they have a 
you know, reasonably competent backup. What I am more interested in looking for, and I'm actually failing to find it live, um, is which teams have the rest advantage the most often over the course of the season. So you're, if you're a rested team playing a team on the second half of their back-to-back, that's an advantage. And, and Mika Blake-McCurdy uh, at Ineffective Math on Twitter releases his schedule analysis yearly on this. And I'm trying to find his, uh, like he makes beautiful charts about it. This is HockeyViz.com. This is his website. We're patrons. You should go check it out yourself. I'm going to keep searching for it. And uh, if I can track it down, I will tweet it. But I am looking, like I think another advantage is finding players on a team that is often playing tired teams and it's not like a hard and fast rule that they're going to score more goals or do a lot better but if the goalie is playing the second night in a row or the team is playing the second night in a row yeah they're going to be tired and there is there is a a measurable advantage that risk that rest offers a team and so you can try and take advantage of that when trying to pick between two similar players at your draft table yeah, so something to consider again. Uh, Dallas, by the way, doesn't have that many back-to-backs, only nine. Like basically it's Vegas and Seattle with six and then Edmonton, Dallas and Calgary all have nine as like the next lowest, uh, which reminded me of, you know, Dallas really doesn't have, who is their backup right now? Is it Wedgwood behind Ottinger? Yeah, and Hudobin. And who don't, yeah, oh man. So, but the, the thing is that there's been news coming out that apparently they're not close on the contract negotiations with uh, Jake Ottinger and like uh, Dallas really needs to get, like it feels to me like Dallas has no leverage here. Like they just need, like it would, there's no chance that they need Ottinger to play a, a crap load of their games. Uh, so uh, yeah, seeing Dallas have not that many back-to-backs just like emphasizes to me just how much they need to get this contract done. So I, I wouldn't be a good negotiator for the stars in this. I'd rather be Ottinger's agent in this negotiation and be like, come on guys. What, what are you going to do? What do you think you're going to do without us? <laughs> it's a really tricky spot for Dallas to be in because teams who overpay their goalies. Well, there's two examples, right? You've got Montreal and Florida, and they're actually not great examples for the argument I'm about to make. Uh, you're kind of handcuffed when you're paying your goalie $10 million. There's a decent chance. It's like in fantasy, right? There's a decent chance that goalie you pick up in the 15th round can give you the same value more like enough to be worthwhile than the goalie that you reach for in the fourth or fifth round. And it's the same with NHL goalies. It's a position you can save on because there's a lot of randomness and luck involved. And if you uh, hit yourself to a goalie with long-term and a huge cap hit, like $10 million for Price and Bobrovsky, it really uh, handcuffs you in being able to build out the rest of your team to be a, a year-in, year-out Stanley Cup contender and Florida, I mean, has some really great contracts on the books already. And I think that helped them uh, get to where they are. And they're they're working with what they have with Bob. But imagine uh, they didn't, like, imagine they could have, uh, they had another six or seven million to spare. So I feel like Dallas or any NHL team who has, uh, like, a potentially, like, franchise cornerstone goalie in their hands, you're damned if you do. And you're damned if you don't. If you pay them all your money, it's really going to take a hit out of what you can spread out across the rest of your team. And if you pay uh, a little and they walk, it's like, well, what are you doing? Like you finally had the hardest thing to get in the NHL, which is a reliable top flight NHL goalie. So I don't envy the position the Dallas Stars are in, and I don't know what they're going to do with Edinger. And stuff for goalies, because, you know, they deserve to get paid. Uh, Superstar goalies should be paid just like skater superstars get paid. But it's a position that can uh, often be found uh, 
elsewhere, right? Like we've seen all kinds of goalies in the past few forever come up and be able to deliver massive performances with very little contracts or track record. So it's a tough situation. I assume all I can assume is that it's going to get done in Dallas with Edinger, but they also have Jason Robertson to, uh, to take care of with his contract. His, he's a restricted free agent uh, with an expired contract and they don't have a whole lot of wiggle room in Dallas to make both players work. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing in the chat here, Fantasy Tidbits is saying, I'm sleeping on Wedgwood. Uh, he did actually have a pretty good year last year with uh, Arizona, Dallas, and New Jersey. He was on three teams, but ended with a 9-10 save percentage, played 37 games, not too shabby. So maybe, uh, but I, I still don't think Dallas wants to be relying on Scott Wedgwood. Uh, he's only 29, though. Maybe his best years are ahead. Maybe they I like have that. a save here. <laughs> I like for a goalie. He's only 29. You know, yeah, for, for a goalie, for, it's like, yeah. For a forward, it's like, oh, he's 29 years old. We've seen what we're going to see. But Wedgwood does have this, like, sort of, it's a very limited career history. And the seasons where he's played the most, he's done either, like, average or below average. But he's not terrible. And we've seen him do really well in short spurts. So I uh, I, I think he could be. If Ettinger's situation is not getting sorted before the season begins, having Scott Wedgwood or... I don't know. I, like, I know the stars don't believe much in Hudobin, and I think they'd rather throw Wedgwood in there. Uh, but he uh, he might be someone to make sure you're not caught sleeping on. Yeah, by the way, uh, another interesting thing maybe for back-to-backs is maybe that could be important to know about four-year fantasy playoffs. Like, again, if you're wanting to think that far ahead, there are a few teams that have three back-to-backs. Again, this is throughout the couple fantasy playoffs. You have to check your league. But for those three weeks, which are, I guess, the fifth last week of the year, the fourth last week of the year, and the third last week of the year, because, again, we don't play in those final two weeks. Uh, So there are a handful of teams that have three back-to-backs during that playoff. So maybe that would be a reason to not want like the starting goalie from that team just because you're especially if it's a team that's going to probably you know not have anything to play for at that point like maybe the Leafs the Leafs are on this list and they have well the Leafs don't really even have a starter right now they have Murray and Samsonov so maybe actually they're a team where it doesn't really matter okay I'll give you the list of teams here Arizona Boston Carolina Columbus New Jersey and the Islanders so maybe like the Islanders you know they have I think Sorokin is like a sure starter but they're probably gonna rest him if they're well they're also not a guaranteed playoff team right they didn't make the playoffs last year Carolina is probably the other sure playoff team in this list so yeah maybe Frederick Anderson I definitely don't think they're gonna run him into the ground especially since they have Ranta who's good so if both of them are healthy yeah so if you have Frederick Anderson you're maybe not won't be getting as many games out of him as from some other teams because Carolina has those three back to backs during the cupful fantasy playoffs so just something to throw out there on the other side Winnipeg uh, only has one among a bunch of other teams. Winnipeg like came out to me just because Connor Hellebuck, you know, is like such a highly drafted goalie and he plays so many games. And so it's nice to see for your fantasy playoffs that you'll probably get your Hellebuck games. Uh, Tampa only has one. So same for Vasilevsky. Uh, there's actually three teams that have no back-to-backs in the couple fantasy playoffs, San Jose, Seattle, and Vegas. Uh, but those are all three teams that don't really have a... Well, I guess, yeah, Seattle and Vegas. So, yeah, you could go with... Uh, those were the, weren't, weren't Seattle and Vegas the teams that had something? They had, like, the fewest... Ba- oh, yeah, they have the fewest back-to-backs in the season overall. So I guess it makes sense that it also carries over to the fantasy playoffs. So, yeah, if you have your Grubauer, you have your Leonard... I guess, yeah, Leonard's actually could be like a decent guy if he falls a lot, which I'm sure he will, especially if he doesn't even start the season. Get him, 
you know, in the draft, stash him in your IR, and then hopefully he comes back at 100%, and maybe Vegas gives him all three games. Vegas could be a team, like, fighting for that playoff spot if it's anything like last year. So maybe they will be playing their starter, or maybe by then he's injured again, and they're playing Logan Thompson. But anyways, just something I wanted to throw out there to finish off our schedule talk. Thanks for throwing it out there. I, you mentioned Arizona a bunch of times, so I'm just going to point out, like, if anyone already knows this, you're probably like, are they going to mention it? And if you don't know it, you should know it. But Arizona wins for having the weirdest schedule. They get the New York Islanders award uh, that they earned last season with having the weirdest schedule, completely imbalanced weeks, disappearing for weeks at a time, uh, having the, the arena situation that we referenced at the top of the show. Uh, Arizona begins the season this year. Of course, like they're playing in this, uh, in this other like university arena, right? So like there's whatever that means. I'm not going to read into <laughs> whether or not that's going to impact their performance. Or, actually, honestly, that would be a really fun place to see an NHL say, an NHL game. Like if I'm planning one road trip to catch a game this year, I'm going to go catch some superstars in Arizona and see them in a 5,000 seat arena. That would be Wait, amazing. Why? Like, I don't get it. Like I thought the idea is being in a small arena is not as fun. Why are you saying I've never heard this take that being in a smaller arena with less fans is more fun. I think it could be awesome. Like you, you'll be so much closer to the action. It's like a more intimate kind of setting than being, you know, up in the nosebleeds and like watching, like it's exciting anywhere in an NHL game. The nice thing about hockey is there's often not a bad seat in the arena, but I think it's like Elon seeing a band in an arena versus a, like a venue that has like a hundred people capacity. Right. So you're seeing like an intimate show, but for like all their home games. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I guess so, sure. But if Arizona's playing someone like an amazing or interesting team, like they're playing Colorado, it's like, yeah, I'd go see how that plays out like i'd go watch colorado really up close and personal but is uh, but that fun also to see our, uh, colorado just like mess around with a <laughs> terrible team yeah well I, I i had the thought as i was saying it and i was like well maybe i'll watch a team equal to arizona but that wouldn't be very entertaining either but i still would go the weather's going to be great in the sure. winter there anyway anyway arizona begins the season with a six game road trip then they come home for four games. They're there till November 3rd. Then they head out back out on the road for a game on November 5th. And they don't come back home till December 9th, over a month and 14 games later. This road trip could be a total killer for Coyotes. And it's one reason, actually, Elon, like, I'm, I'm a big fan of what Clayton Keller did last season. Heck, I'm a big fan of what Nick Schmaltz did last season. Shane Gostisbehere. But if you're drafting these guys, you might just have to be ready to suffer until December. And I think best case scenario is you don't draft them, but their managers get so sick of them during this road trip that I assume is going to be bad, right? When you're on the road, uh, typically you get fewer power play opportunities. Uh, you don't get the line matching. It's hard. You might also it's, just be tired like mentally. Players get tired. Right? Yeah. yeah. You're moving around all the time. You're ground down. You're never home. Uh so ideally, I let someone else draft these coyotes I'm into, and then I pick them up right at the end of this 14-game road trip, either by trade or via free agency if someone is mad enough, which I don't think is going to happen in the cupful. But uh, that, that would be a, my one – the one team – like last year, I would go back and I wouldn't draft any Islanders based on how that early season went, watching it play out. This year, I'm really reluctant to draft coyotes unless I'm ready – to basically throw in the towel for the first two months from those well, roster spots they'll be taking up. 
Yeah, I mean, I, they're not going to do nothing, but yeah, I agree that they're probably not going to meet their full potential. And yeah, some, Clayton Keller was getting dropped in leagues last year and then ended up being like an MVP at the end before he got injured, unfortunately. Like someone that I thought would be like a decent sleeper for this year is Jacob Chikrin, right? He was so good a couple years ago. Last year, he struggled a bit. Uh, then he ended up getting injured himself. But like, I felt like maybe now he'll fall so far in drafts that it becomes value because he still has that upside and maybe he gets traded at some point. Uh, but yeah, maybe that takes away from it. Unless, you know, unless maybe it's just a good opportunity to grab him before he gets traded. But yeah, maybe like you're saying, Brian, either wait for the player to get dropped or send a trade offer to the Keller or Chicken manager, you know, when this road trip is almost over, like with a really low ball offer that actually looks pretty even based on what's been going on so far in the season if they're underperforming. So yeah, definitely yeah. worth it to mention. And by the way, I'm going to be doing an interview about the Coyotes this week. Scheduled Ooh, for Tuesday. Synergy. We, we got Craig Morgan again. So I'll, you think I'll be able to pull a half an hour of content? Uh, about the Arizona Coyotes. Like normally I go through all the fantasy relevant players in these interviews, right? Like what am I going to talk about? I mean, I'll bring up Keller. Vemelka versus Prosvitov. Oh God. Yeah. I'll talk about the goalies for a little bit, I guess. We'll talk about Chikrin and Gosses Beher. Uh, maybe Nick Schmaltz. Like obviously he had a good run. Like after that, like who? who Dyson else? I guess, Mayo. Yeah. What about Dyson Mayo? I guess I could spend the whole time talking about the prospects. I could be like, oh, Logan Cooley. What's he going to be like in three years or whatever? But like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's good. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it'll still be a fun interview and, and uh, Craig's great to talk to. But he yeah, this great. is going to be one of these tougher ones for me to prep and have uh, interesting questions to ask. It could be exciting to see, like, there's a lot of room for these prospects to make the team. Like, could Logan Cooley, like, I, I'd, I'm most interested to find out, like, does he have a shot? this year at making the roster and is Barrett Hayton like where's he at in his development right we were really mm-hmm. excited about him at the start is he lost in the woods no I see enough here Elon I really do so I'm, right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that uh do you know you could also ask if Craig Morgan is aware because I was not or I had forgotten that Brian Little is an Arizona Coyote is he uh, is yeah. he health is he healthy I don't think so no, no. Okay. I think his career is like basically over, but the Jets traded him for a fourth round pick. Okay, from did you know his, uh, his longtime line mate, Andrew Ladd, is also on Arizona? Uh, and he reunited. Actually, Blake yeah. Wheeler to Arizona. It's going to happen. Ladd, little Wheeler reunited, maybe on the IR. Barrett Hayden's not signed right now. I guess, okay, there's a question. Are they going to sign? Also, uh, Lawson Krause, he had some stretches last year where we talked about him on the podcast. He yeah. was decent. He was playing with Kessel. By the way, Kessel's unsigned, eh? Like, no one's signed him. They, he'll for sure be signed, right? Why? How could a team not give him a million do you think dollars? He might, do you think he might be like a January signing? He might be one of those guys who like, remember Justin Williams did this a while back. Like he sort of just waited out the early mm-hmm. part of the season, didn't want to really do camp, needed some time to heal, and like figured he would come fresh and ready for the end of the season to meet his team and then go nuts for a playoff run. I, I could see Phil Kessel following that. I mean, I don't know his financial situation. I feel like Kessel could make more money by, like, if it was me, I like making money. I, he's like, I would try to sign a contract for a lot of money. I feel like he should be able to get a f- couple million at least. Phil Kessel estimated career earnings by cap friendly $91.5 million. Yeah, how much went to taxes? He was in Canada for a lot of it. High tax okay, rate. Okay, <laughs> so like, take away half of that. Yeah, poor guy, only like 46 mil. Brian, also, he has an Iron Man streak going still. You think uh, oh. he doesn't want to keep that going? Mm-hmm. That's someone's uh, going to sign. I think maybe I think it's one of these situations where if like, he's he probably, not signed. He doesn't lose his streak, right? I think he does. If he misses regular, I, I don't know how. I, I would imagine, <laughs> right? What? So like some retired player just has a streak going right now? 
Yeah, and wouldn't that be great if, like, the Iron Man leader, like, just retired and then every time someone beat him, like, come back and play a couple games? I mean, if you could get a team to pay you to do that. Anyway, I think that we're off the rails a little bit. This has been fun. Okay, I think we... (laughs) Wait, I I have... Oh, you have more. (laughs) No, just before we close out, I felt like we could... And I've built a ranking of how Uh I'm going to weigh all these schedule considerations the most at the draft table. Are you ready? I'm going to lay it out for you. You can agree or disagree. The first thing I'm looking for... Light days. Second mm-hmm. thing I'm looking for is versus playing versus a tired team on a back-to-back. Third thing I'm looking for is a good immediate schedule. And the last thing I'm looking for is a good playoff schedule. Those last two can be flipped, but basically in that order, that's how I'm prioritizing schedule considerations at my draft. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I like talking about the schedule and it's interesting, but also when I draft, I usually don't think about it. So last year in the cup, for what it's worth, this is one year sample size. Oh, I promise I wouldn't mention this again, but whatever. However, I turned out doing in the couple last year. I didn't you actually. Won. Yeah, but I didn't uh, focus on the schedule in the draft. I definitely like heavily, heavily focused on the schedule week to week. Uh, but as far as like drafting and then like going into the playoffs, I actually made a couple trades to like bolster my team for like, I knew I was going to get a buy. So like I only had to focus on the semis and finals. I thought, man, maybe a uh, Braden point would be a great acquisition. And he had like eight games in that stretch with like one point. It was terrible. Like <laughs> the times I did try to focus on the schedule, it kind of blew up in my face. So I was just lucky that the rest yeah. of my team came through. So I agree. Like don't the schedule is it. an hour and a half after talking about the schedule. Don't think about the schedule. I like I, I you're right to make sure that we're not blowing it up into this big thing to really make a lot of decisions on. It's more of an in-season management thing. I think the way I use it, as I've mentioned a few times, is if I'm choosing between two guys and I just can't any way I slice it, I can't figure out which guy's better for my team. Then I'll go to those the, the ranking of schedule considerations. Yeah, I think the main thing I would focus on actually for me is like just the first couple of weeks. Like you know this idea of just like with my last couple draft picks, give me the players who play a lot. Even just week one, like I'll just grab a San Jose or Nashville guy right at the end to get my like early stream for those two games in the weird like start of the first week. But okay, Brian, this has been a blast. We've gone through the Klingberg signing. We spent some time on a potential Kadri signing that hasn't even happened yet. Uh, we told our listeners about some of the fun stuff coming up in the couple next year. Again, you, we want you to register as soon as you can. Uh, it'll be great to uh, see you. Uh, go to couple.com for info. And yeah, also check out patreon.com slash keeping Carlson for all the, because the couple is one perk of being a patron. But we've actually got a really fun thing going on our Discord. Thanks so much to the patrons for all your support over the summer. And yeah, if you want to come hang out with us, we're still doing all these mock drafts, like Brian said, our rankings every day. Uh, People are starting to ask their keeper league questions. I'm sure soon we're going to be talking about just like draft strategies and who people are going for. So yeah, it's it's a fun place to hang out in our Discord. Check it all out at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you read us the credits here? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Tom, Andrea, Flash, Tyler, and our newest one, Aaron. Thanks for uh, joining the, the credit crew at the end of the episode. Thanks to our Cupful coordinator, Kevin Bear for uh, getting all the getting us ready for the Cupful. We had Kevin on our team for the first full season. 
We're really excited, Elon, to have like a third person run what's turned into this like giant thing. We're hoping we'll have over 500 managers this year. Well, I should mention that with Kevin in, the couple gets so much better because he's building all of these amazing data tools, uh, like people who are going to be able uh, to play and compare themselves to like everyone in the league and see like who are the players who've been added the most. Like we have a lot of big plans and Kevin's been working really hard on like the back end where it's just going to be like this amazing. Anyway, I don't want to get, ooh, we'll get Kevin on at some point to like talk about all of the cool things he's built for the couple. But yeah, that's another big part of what's going to make the league fun. And Kevin's doing an awesome job. There are going to be better stats available for the couple than there are available on NHL.com. Like we will have more robust statistics oh. for our leagues and managers. <laughs> Let's uh, not get hit. It's, it's, a lot it's there. not NHL, a high bar. I think it is. I think maybe you're talking it's about the functionality. Yeah, NHL.com has a lot of stuff on there. It's just like slow and like has a separate problem. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that's happening. KKUPFL.com to find out how to sign up. Come join us. Come check it out. Try us out. If you don't like it, well, we we hope you don't leave because it's annoying to have to replace someone. But uh, like, so come somewhat committed, but come try us out. We promise it'll be fun. Uh, Also, big thanks to John Newhold, who uh, did a lot of the the data running when the schedule was initially uh, released. He shared some really, really cool insights in our Discord community. Those insights are still coming. Uh, from John and everybody, so you can come join us if you join the couple. You're you're in. Like join the Discord and be in the couple, or join the couple and be in the whatever is a bigger priority for you. Thanks to Elon and Champs for continuing to tweet out all fancy relevant news for the off season. You can find out how to keep up with it over at GameDayTweets.com. Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts. They're still around and they're still tweeting occasionally at Short Shifts KK. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. Oh, and thanks also, Andrea and Joel, for still running the patron rankings over on Discord. I want to give you guys a shout out as well. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge, uh, and Cap Friendly, and The Athletic. I tried to go uh, improv on my credits list, but I still use most of these sites somehow for our itty-bitty schedule show. <laughs> our itty-bitty show that was like almost two hours. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back at you with uh, more beat writer interviews. Like I said, we've got Arizona coming out soon. I think we also have Pittsburgh. Yeah, we have Pittsburgh coming next week. Ben's going to be talking to Jesse Marshall. We have that on the books. And uh, yeah, then Brian and I are even going to record another episode <laughs> right now, like for you, the listener, unless you are watching live. Uh, you'll wait a little while, but yeah, there's more coming, right? So make sure you're subscribed to KingCarlson.com. And Brian, what should people be doing? I don't know why I said you should be just subscribed at our website, but subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, right? And Brian, while people are waiting for all that content to come, what should they be occupying their brains with? Uh, just make sure you're doing everything you can, especially as new people might be looking to join fantasy hockey. Make sure that fantasy hockey can be for everyone.